Calculators did not make humans not do math. It made humans do better math, right? And that is ultimately what we are trying to get toward. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. On Wednesday, some of the top leaders in artificial intelligence will meet with Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer in Washington. The briefings will be led by some of the top minds in AI and will help senators develop much-needed experience on defining the technological shift of this century. And some of the top leaders in AI will not be there. We can't have this singular source of advice coming from industry. That, to me, is one of the biggest problems. This week on Sand Hill Road, Stanford's Russell Wald. Uh, So I am the Managing Director for Policy and Society at the Stanford Institute for Human-Centered AI. Wald Uh, says if Washington really wants to create good policy on artificial intelligence, it should include academics in the conversation and not just industry. I mean, the people that we believe are attending are named Elon Sundar, Mark, Sam, Satya, Jensen and Eric, mm-hmm. and they're well known, known enough in Silicon Valley. I don't even need mm-hmm. to use their last names. <laughs> what we need to ensure is that there are different uh, voices at the table. Bear in mind, AI itself actually is has been historically an academic endeavor, uh, and it's in 2014 when you hit the deep learning revolution, you see this divergence, and we have the data that shows that. And the divergence is. Uh, Academia starts going down in this space and industry starts coming, uh, running away with it. And why is that? It's because of this massive amount of compute and data that industry has access to that academia does not. And the problem with that is, is what we're really talking about and focused on right now is what's coming out of product labs, not research labs. Product labs have short time horizons or have to have commercial viability or thinking about, you know, shareholder value as they're working towards something. Research labs are designed to potentially fail or leave their work behind for other th- uh, other possibilities. But ultimately, what you get from this is uh, breakthroughs like CRISPR, the internet, GPS, right? And those are later commercialized down, down the road. So right now, you have this incredible imbalance. And who policymakers seem to be turning to quite often here are industry leaders because they're captivated by what's on the product market. But the reality is, is this technology is a general purpose technology and will be pervasive across multiple domains and fields. And so if you're just talking to the industry people, it is going to create a longer term problem than 
we know. And I think it makes a better press release or a better uh, photo op, right? Is I met with the head of Microsoft. I met with Elon Musk. I met with the head of Google. Um, when it comes to academia, it's not necessarily as well-known names. Well, sure. There's a lot of celebrity in there, isn't there? Right. And, uh, you know, are we going to be talking more about AI and AI advancements? Or are we going to be talking about the pre-cage match between <laughs> Elon Musk and Mark <laughs> let's Zuckerberg? Say, let's say you were at the table. Let's say you <laughs> mm-hmm. were representing Stanford's uh, AI efforts at this meeting on Wednesday. What would you? What would your number one agenda item be? Yeah, well, first I would say that there's plenty of other well, more qualified people in here to be at that table than me. But what I would say, and probably what they would say, is the need for, uh, clearly we need, a, 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 there's a need for regulation. And I understand that. I am very for that. But even if we came up with the optimal regulations tomorrow that held industry's feet to the fire, but still let them innovate, we couldn't enforce those because we don't have the human capital we need, uh, and so what we ultimately need when we're talking about regulations, we also need a pairing of investment in this and public sector investment in AI. There's plenty of private sector investment. We need the public sector investment to ensure that academia is turning out the next generation of people to go into industry potentially or stay in academia or go into government and have a more holistic uh uh, approach towards this. So my first thing would be uh, for them, uh, for Congress to pass the Create AI Act would be one of the first things that I would uh, be pushing for. But in general, a larger approach towards investment and looking at this from a national perspective. That would include uh, maybe changes towards uh, immigration. It's a shame that uh, in on this very university that we're sitting at right now, there are brilliant AI PhDs who have no desire to return to their country of origin and would love to stay in the United States, but unfortunately they cannot. So where do they go? Data is showing us primarily to Canada. And so that's a loss for us in general. So what we need is more human capital in this space to be able to inform the conversations more. To get more human capital, you have to think about it from a larger perspective of investment as well as regulation. You'll be pleased to hear that next week's episode is actually entirely about how America is losing some of its uh, immigrant uh, scientists to Canada. It's an unfortunate problem. It's a a very strange problem. So if we're going to regulate technological progress, how do we do that? You say you want AI to be developed and deployed thoughtfully and responsibly. Those are your words. Has any radical new invention been developed thoughtfully and responsibly? You know, I think it's the uh, the first thing I would say in answer to your question is transparency is one of the biggest keys that we need sure. no matter what, right? I think that's a huge uh, area. There's a lot of nuance and it would take multiple podcasts for us to get into that level of transparency, but that's the first layer is what I would say to you on that. The second part of this is... Um, Let me give you an example of a way of doing business in this particular space. So at Stanford HAI, what we have done here is we have, um, we're a grant-making organization internally within Stanford. So a faculty member can say, I'm going to work on this human-centered AI project, and we will help fund that in in some way. But before they do that, what we helped come up with, uh, and the Stanford community in general helped come come up with this, was an ethics and society review statement. So in advance of even starting any project, they have to sit there and start to say, this is my intention, but what are the ethical implications of this? What are the dual use capabilities of this? If I'm developing this, is it just a 
easy, quick shot over into something that can be used for nefarious purposes. Uh, and what you are able to do through this is you're able to sit there and have a committee review this particular proposal, and they come back to you. And it's not a checklist that they come back to you with. It is a thorough analysis of saying, you didn't think about X, mm. Y, and Z. Why didn't you think about that? The, the what could possibly go wrong analysis. Correct. Yes. Correct. Now, isn't all science what could possibly go wrong? I mean, if I can figure out how to fuse two atoms together, we could do a lot of cool things with it. We could also do some really terrible things with it. Absolutely. Uh, you know, technology can always be used for very <laughs> dangerous purposes as much as it is for human advancement and life-saving and whatever that very well may be. We will struggle with this, and this will be a perennial problem for the human experience. The issue here is, is even the development of something might be so beneficial for humanity in general that under proper circumstances, you might be able to still have an advancement towards this. A cure for cancer might actually be great, but it also could help lead to a development of different kind of pathogens or things like this. Do we say we're not going to cure cancer or do we try to find a way to limit the, the possibility of new pathogens being created? Sandhill Road will be right back. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Stanford uh, calls its efforts human-centered AI, and you've said that as well. Explain human-centered. What does that mean? Yeah, so originally when the uh, the design team was thinking of uh, creating HAI, human-centered actually seems a bit uh, antiquated at this point, and we're just talking about a few years ago, but it actually shows the success of that concept being widely adopted. And the first part of it is, is the idea that it must be, uh, the technology should be developed to benefit humanity. That's pretty much a no-brainer, I think, at this point. But a few years ago, when it was talked about, it was not a no-brainer. The second part of this, and I think one of the things that's actually coming up most in the news today, is that it should be designed to augment human capability, not replace it. So I have a colleague in the medical school that uh, has been quoted in the New York Times with this, uh, of where he is, uh, he's a radiologist, and he says, 
The question is not whether AI will replace the radiologist. The answer is the radiologist that uses AI will replace the radiologist that doesn't. And in that area, what you're looking at is a tool that's being used to help advance, not replace the human in that uh, particular situation. And we actually are seeing the pairing of this is much better versus either standalone or not in some cases. And then the final part of this is the idea of intelligence and seeing what is in nature and uh, the human brain as intelligence as a guidepost for some of this and what can actually be designed as we see the brain as one of the most important parts of intelligence and what that can ultimately mean. I totally understand the uh, human-centered part of it, that it should benefit humanity. But doesn't all technology have the risk that humans won't be involved in? In other words, if we set up a research center or a set of rules that said, listen, buggy whip manufacturers want to be involved in this new development of the car. And as long as a buggy whip is involved in some way, you know, we're okay with this development. Aren't there things in automation and things that, that well, yeah, humans won't be involved? Well, certainly, you're you're going to want to. If you could uh, pull people, humans out of dangerous situations, you, sure. you you would want to do that. But that's not to say that a human is not involved. You're just not putting. You know, if there are, if there's the ability of a human to not have to go into a burning building, and and there's a robot that can go into a burning building. Great. I, I think we would still say that you know, bomb operating robots. <laughs> are still operated by humans in some sure. extent, right? So there always seems to be and that the human benefits. Yeah, yeah. right? So, uh, so there are certain limitations to that, of course. But the point that I'm trying to make here is that calculators did not make humans not do math. It made humans do better math, right? And that is ultimately what we are trying to get towards, is the tool purposes of this and using it as a tool. I'll tell you some, a, a real quick uh, anecdote here. Uh, in this very room we're sitting in, there was a bunch of uh, foreign journalists that came in to talk about this. And there was this one journalist from Spain who was saying to me, you're going to take our jobs. You're going to take our jobs. And part of my role here is certainly not to be an advocate for that, but quite the opposite. But I said to him, you know, if your job is simply to watch something like the State of the Union address and write something up on AP, the AP and have that go out there, indeed, your job might be in trouble. But if your job is that of an investigative journalist, you've never been more valuable because what can a machine not do? Build trust, relationships, chase down a story, understand all of those key factors that are purely human there. But the author, the reporter does not need to now write a story. They can take their notes and dump it into a language model that will be able to write the story for them. You see what I'm saying? I do. So it should be seen as a tool, not as a replacement factor. One of the things in journalism we're worried about is deep fake. Uh, right. That, you know, we, how do we know what it is that we're seeing is authentic? One of the interesting points that you've brought up is it doesn't need to be a deep fake for there to be doubt about whether it is a fake. That is only if there's plenty of deep fakes that poison the well. Right, but right? I could say, you know, that that image of me with that woman who's not my wife, that's, that's a fake picture. Uh, you could in, in an era of where we're probably headed towards. Yeah. And what essentially that is, is what two prominent scholars have referred to as the liar's dividend. In a world where you have enough You don't need to have even a majority. You just need to have enough synthetic media. 
you will question the veracity of everything. And who will win when you question the veracity of the liar? liar. They will have that benefit uh, to be able to see uh, or, or warp the truth into their favor and say that never really happened. And you're starting to see evidence of this now. I've seen some evidence... Uh, from interviews recently uh, that I saw um, of certain political um, fans of a, one particular political candidate where they're saying, that's just not true. You can fake voice recordings. <laughs> I can't imagine who you're talking about. <laughs> if one of the people who are going to attend Wednesday's meeting uh, were driving to the uh, meeting and listening to this podcast— what would you tell them? Make sure to do this at the meeting. Make sure that you are being responsible with your comments to policymakers and what that means. And by and what I'm referring to is what we just talked about a moment ago, which was this idea of hype in the field. Don't hype it of where it will fix everything because it will not. Uh, and don't uh, oversell this existential risk of where it's going to kill us all, right? So there is this middle lane of the positive potential from it and uh, extraordinary risk that we have to be careful about, mindful about. But if we're going to be polarizing ourselves like everything in society seems to do, it's not going to do the development of this technology a service. I am encouraged that the politicians, politicians seem interested. I mean, we can run any number of sound bites from Congress in which senators and members of uh, the House ask terrible questions in which you're just, you know, you, you put your head in your hands. Well, if so, how do you sustain a business model in which users don't pay for your service? Senator, we run ads. I see. How do you not understand this technology yet? And a lot of us don't understand AI, but it, but in this case, they're trying. Yeah, one hundred percent. You, I have you know, elected officials. This is what I tell a lot of people. Elected officials need to know about Medicare, Social Security, foreign affairs, constituent point, issues. Yeah. Many of them are running space for, exploration. for space exploration. <laughs> Many of them are running for re-election, and so they have to think about fundraising and all, all of that that comes uh, with in their role. So what they are in a position of is knowing things to be uh, an uh, inch deep but a mile wide. So we I'm, we're not we don't need them to be AI experts. We need AI experts <laughs> for that role. We need them to be policymakers. But what we do need for them to understand is what the uh, what the technology can and cannot do, its limits and its overall impact. That's what we need for them to do. And what we most importantly need for them to do is make sure that they are bringing various stakeholders to the table and not just one set academia. From one. Correct. Academia is doing incredible stuff in this space, even without the uh, ability of having a certain level of compute and data that is desperately needed. Now, imagine if you were to supply academia with that level of compute and uh, data, you would be able to have uh, significant advancements that weren't just from the product lab, but were from the research lab. And that's what you would tell them if you were at the table, hey guys, Congress, more money for academia to study AI. Yes, 100%, because this is, again, a general purpose technology. This is going to affect so many different domains, and you don't want just the computer scientists in this building working on this, and that's one beauty about Stanford's Institute for Human-Centered AI. It's a multidisciplinary institute. We work with the law school. We work with uh, philosophers we, and, and in the humanities, the business school, the medical school. 
as well as engineering and computer science. So there's all of these different areas of academics that are going to be needing to use this technology, and they're not computer scientists. So, but they will need that level of compute access to be able to do that, design this uh, similar work. Are you are you optimistic for the future as far as AI goes? Yeah, you know, I it, bizarrely I am because there's so much doom and gloom that we hear right now. And w- but w- what I would like, particularly your listeners, maybe to walk away with, is we're at a moment of where you're either hearing it's going to kill us all, or it's going to fix everything. And that, and neither I don't believe to be the truth at this time. Right now, there's more of a grounded area of where we, there are significant risks from this technology of where we must be careful as we start to uh, bring this into our society. And it is an inevitability that it's going to be integrated into society more. So how we are, do we make sure that we apply a level of responsible uh, guardrails that can protect people in certain situations? But the other part of this is, is to be a bit of a techno-optimist, there are amazing advancements and we're starting to see the dividends from this. Bear in mind that there are a lot of emerging technologies that people, particularly governments, officials, and policymakers need to be aware about. But there's only one that's truly cross-cutting, and that's AI. AI informs synthetic biology. AI informs nuclear fusion. AI can inform uh, other uh, areas of computing or something along those lines. They don't have the same cross back. Synthetic bio doesn't necessarily Mm -hmm. inform AI. So what you're doing is you're ultimately taking that tool that I referred to and applying that into all of these domains. And what that could potentially do is supercharge new knowledge and advancement that we aren't even remotely prepared for. You're talking about someone, a mathematician that's been working on the 50-year-old math problem, expecting to leave their work behind for somebody to solve the problem in another 50 years, and instead it's being solved tomorrow. That is huge, and that has massive implications for society. Russell Wald, Managing Director for Policy and Society at Stanford Institute for Human-Centered AI. A few years back, we did an interview about the future of work in a world of automation and AI with legendary venture capitalist Bill Davidow. If you're interested in the subject, you'll find Bill's thoughts fascinating. I mean, I don't want to get too philosophical. Oh, go for it. (laughs) (laughs) But there, there are questions about what do we have to do to live meaningful lives? And uh, we're going to have to grapple with that question. And as promised, next week, we'll talk immigration with the founders of Unshackled Ventures. When you think about the immigrant themselves leaving their home country is an entrepreneurial act, right? Whether it be by force or by choice, that's, that's the start of an entrepreneur's journey. Sand Hill Road is produced by Sean Myers under the leadership of Sarah Bueno and Stephanie Adruni. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.